Home again, home again, jiggity jiggity Hello. Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? Good. I like your new Skype avatar. Isn't that cute? It's a funny dog. It's a funny dog going, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> How you doing this morning? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. Mm. You know, all things considered, the uh, someone in the neighborhood... We all have to figure out in Seattle at this time of year how you're going to get your lawn mowed because if you don't do it when you get a shot, then it could start raining again and rain for 10 days. Mm-hmm. And by the time it's done, you know, your lawn is loving that. Oh, you got a different kind of lawn mowing now. Yeah. Now, now, you've now got you're like, doing like emergency stuff. <laughs> now your grass is, is uh, 11 inches high. And um, so... You know, and when we, uh, those of us that like to test our limits, mm-hmm. we, we go that extra day. And I can hear, <laughs> I can hear someone in the neighborhood that hasn't mowed his lawn in in uh, like seven days because he's just like, <clears throat> it's it's really. Uh, it's you really like to satisfying. walk right up to that edge, though. You like to jump on right before the plane takes off. Oh boy, and I go over it so often. I go over that line so many times, and it's just like, oh. Too bad. There's not enough yeah. gas in the world to power this lawnmower. <laughs> I gotta get the scythe out. <laughs> That's an image I like. You out there with your with your Grim Reaper stick? Whoosh, yeah. Whoosh. yeah. Just making bales of hay. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, how's it uh, going down there in San Francisco today? Oh, it's a beautiful, warm, uh, dry, humid, cool morning. Uh, oh, great, Colonel. No, it's great. a nice. It's a. It's a nice. It's a nice morning. It's an optimistic day. Oh, that's good. I was listening that's to uh, to to Kanye West and singing along with Kanye West as I sometimes do. Oh, mm-hmm. well, what do you know? All of the lights, all of the. Uh-huh. That's exactly what I think of when I think That's of That's a very good album. I've heard I've heard it, yeah. Yeah. It is Have you a good heard al- it? Yeah, I mean it's a really, really good album. Yeah, it's a good album. It is a good album. Um, do you think you're up for a pop quiz? I'm always up for a pop quiz. Okay. The nature of this pop quiz, um, which just occurred to me now, is uh-huh. Uh-huh. um dumb uh-huh. shit you always say when you do a certain thing. Uh, And I'll kick it off. Uh, This could include things I've just captured. Uh, It could be dumb shit you say when you arrive at the house. Dumb shit you say when a check arrives in the mail. When a plane takes off. The first day of a new month. Are there certain ritualistic things that you say without even having to think about it? And and I'll give you mine. Which is every time I leave the house, I hit a button that turns off all the lights in the house. And I say, all of the lights, all of the lights. Mm. And I'm not proud of that. I don't think that's a smart thing to do. But mm-hmm. it's a thing that I always do when my daughter and I arrive home from school. We've walked up a uh, steep hill, and uh, I usually say, home again, home again, jiggity jig. Right. That's a very good thing to say. Or sometimes I find myself, despite myself, repeating a line from my second most loathed childhood show of all time, which is Dora the Explorer. And I find <laughs> myself singing, we did it, we did it, a show she has not watched gratefully in many many years but i still find myself singing the like we solved the puzzle song from door the explorer because we just made it we just made it up a hill and we're all sweating i go we did it we did it what is her reaction to that she hates it she hates everything i do i'm just a constant source of of new forms new and deeper forms of shame for my daughter 
That's wonderful. It's That's really your job. bad. Now, do you have anything like that? You seem like a man who enjoys a ritual. Do you yeah. have dumb shit you say when you do things? Uh, you know, the dumb shit I say, I think is like always triggered by something. So for instance, I will, whenever it's raining, I will sing the chorus of It's Raining Again by Supertramp. Oh, wow. <laughs> Uh huh. Uh huh. Think about that for a second. If it's raining <laughs> while the sun is out, is there anything you ever say? Uh, hmm, you mean like <laughs> it's problematic? Uh, something my grand, <laughs> something my grandfather used to say that uh-huh. still goes through my mind every time that it's really bright out and <laughs> my grandfather used to say, "The devil's beating his wife." <laughs> oh yeah, the devil's beating his wife. I oh rem- my I remember, god! I remember people saying that. Yeah, you I, don't hear that much anymore. No, I never understood. <laughs> Uh, anytime some, anytime somebody Black says, just stole a bike. <laughs> My grandfather was so horrible. Good man, good man, but he had a lot of problematic ideas. Sure, well, this was, you know, you know, it was the time. It was the time he was from South America. Yeah, he was from South America. He you was know from, how they are. But yeah, got this guy over here. We got no diamonds. Oh, yeah, he was a, basically, they were slavers. Anyway, yeah. um, they were from London, but they'd uh, colonized into British Guyana. How long ago? When did they do that? When did that family make that move? I feel like my grandfather, I'm pretty sure he was born in London, but his family was somehow tangentially involved, I'm guessing at some kind of a labor level, were involved in a, the mining industry in British Guyana. And so he lived there from, I think, his childhood until I want to say 1930, when he moved to Cincinnati. This is your grandfather. My maternal grandfather. Um, uh, well, how interesting. Uh, do you know what kind of mining? I think it was, I th- he wrote something for me for, I had to like, you know, the thing where you like interview a relative yep. and he wrote something, had my grandmother type it, of course. And it was, it had to do, I think with diamond mining. Is that possible? Ah, uh, Guyana. So the, they're diamonds. you know they, they were like those were all sugarcane countries, but diamonds. That's exciting. Well, and you know the thing is, people say diamonds, and you think about uh, every kiss begins with K. But like, I think it, there's a lot. A lot of the diamond stuff is industrial diamonds. Oh, sure. It's not like I rings always, and earrings I, I, and whatnot. I always think of the Judas Priest cover of uh, Diamonds and Rust. Oh, how about this? <laughs> every time my wife or I. <laughs> Put whole bean coffee uh-huh. into a device to turn into ground coffee. Can you guess what we say? Uh, Grinder. Uh, oh, really? To this day, we both still do that. I uh, I, I thought you were going to say, <laughs> uh, only half a cup. Don't you like my coffee? He never has a second cup of my coffee. This is I, uh, all in my brain so deeply. There's, I mean, there's, it's all I can do. Now, there's a million of these I, I just that aren't even funny because there's like six things that we say every day based on curious George cartoons from when my daughter was very young. Anytime, any you, of my, anytime anybody in, this is so fucking obscure. Anytime, which is a very good cartoon. Anytime anybody in my house uses the phrase that something was pretty good, somebody will inevitably go, pretty good! Which is really a really obscure <laughs> reference to one episode where a restaurant <laughs> critic comes to Chef Piscetti's place and George makes a mess of it. Uh-huh. Pretty good! Pretty good! That's what the, that's also, what the, that's what the restaurant <laughs> critic says. It also sounds like a Chris Walla impression. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, I took you off it. I have, John, the problem is, it's an affliction. I have yeah. so 
There's a line from Bob's Burgers. Anytime somebody says anything that involves quantification regarding a day, one of us goes, I was in a lot of commercials today. That's a line from a Bob's Burgers episode that we all like. Are there, are there other things like this that are really dumb? You got your bastica panados. I feel like there's got to be more of these for you. Oh, oh, I have, I have, I have dozens. Like anytime somebody uh, prognosticates about the future, like, oh, what's gonna, you know, like, and particularly like if they are talking about like something that's inevitable, mm-hmm. I always say under my breath, this is not for anybody else. I say you are my density. I so mean, stupid. my destiny. And <laughs> what every is that time from? I, that Princess Bride now? What is that? No, it's from uh, Back to the Future. Oh, when God. George McFly walks over uh, in the, and he's like, you are my density. Oh. And then immediately afterwards, McFly! And he misses his chance, you know? Oh, yes, yes. He misses his chance. Um, and uh, I've been saying I've been saying that since I walked out of the theater. You know, I've been saying it since 1983. It's a very, it's a very good remember? line. It's a very you good are line. My, density and no one even ever hears it because i say it under my breath but when they do they're like huh you you put it you use the right word it's a trigger like there are certain kinds of things you will at least think the thought if not say the thing every time and i I don't even know how many i've got they're so they're all so stupid well you know this is the type of thing remember when we first met we uh the the fact that your uh envelope of this kind of like cultural retention was so large and it overlapped with mine so much. Oh yeah. That it was just like, and and we didn't do that thing, uh, that comic con thing where you just sit and pepper each other with re- references. It was, it, it, was, was, it was actually kind of sadder than that. <laughs> well, it was at just least that, that had some kind of like a proscenium effect and a performance quality. <laughs> no, it was just that everything that triggered you to make a reference, ancient I, Chinese not, secret, huh? <laughs> I not only got the reference, but like it, you, you, it was appropriate. You were using it appropriately, Pretty and I was sneaky, like, sis. <laughs> Do you think part he of it's won't being, eat it. He hates everything. <laughs> he hates everything. <laughs> Let's give it to Mikey. Um, do you think part of it's being a latchkey child who got overexposure to things? Could that be yeah. part of it? Well, I mean, it's partly it's our whole generation got, just got thrown at the television without. I mean, I had tons of restrictions on how much television I could watch, but it kind of didn't matter uh, because it was. I don't know. Every every time you went to a kid's house, or every time I went to the babysitter, like yeah, TV sure, sure, on all the time. Uh, but also, no, I think it has to do with like I know a lot of people my age that like I can do this with you. I can do it with Sean Nelson. I can do it with Ken uh, Jennings. But there are a lot of my friends that I like. You know, Mike Squires and I will sit and make plenty hours and hours of conversation, but we're never going to say. Ancient Chinese secret, huh? Uh-huh. It just would never. Yeah. It's just not how his it's not brain part of your mythos works. No, and um, oh, Sean is good at that. Sean, oh, Sean oh. has really good recollection, and he's you know, and Sean's really steeped in in uh, that whole that identity that we had as a generation that we were raised by the television. Also, Sean doesn't mind if you don't get the reference. I think he feels a little bit rewarded if you don't know what he's talking about. Uh, yeah, but he's but he also feels lonely if he's living in a world where no one gets the references. <laughs> That's true. Because we all it's feel such lonely, a, John. Such a big part of like, you know, like if you were living in a world because yeah, in your house you're making reference all the time, and your daughter's just like, my dad is babbling. Oh, and then you know, you know how I make it better is I explain it. 
Oh, that's I'm sure yeah. she's just like, please, Dad, tell oh, me. Oh my God, about that's that so amazing. Commercial for baloney in 1974. <laughs> Did I? I don't know. Should if you we saw go to the <laughs> <laughs> But it was it was a um, because I have friends in Seattle who are my age who I don't do that with, but. We will sit around and say, what was the band with the guy that like got busted with that dude from the other band who opened for, you know, like, yeah, we'll, yeah, do, yeah. we'll do that all day and somebody will and we'll sit and you can just smell the smoke as we're all trying to recall some random opening band from 1994. And it's really fun. You, you know, it's it's a shared culture that we have. But, you know, but again, they're not like. Uh, six guns out all the time. Reference, reference, reference. There, there are also generational things. Like one I see in people who are just a little younger than me is uh, like Pokemon. Like, po- I didn't realize like how big a part of life Pokemon was for a lot of people who are Better, say in their even, like thirties. Oh, in their thirties, right? Twenties and twenties and thirties. But like, I remember first learning about it in like I want to say the late nineties. My bosses tween son in 1999 was really into pokemon i was like what's well, another one of those things that just drop bits for me kind of like me and this is a funny one for you and me um is like um i always call it the wrong thing and people get mad the, the star wars uh tv show with professor x like that started as i was beginning college so i, I utterly missed that star wars thing whereas for you that was very influential right uh are you you're more, you're more an original series guy the, did I say Star st- Wars? Did you? You said Star Wars. Jesus! Oh You're my talking God. about Star Trek. Okay, three, two, one. <laughs> See, the thing is, Star Trek. Um, no, sorry, Star Trek. You got busted. You're gonna get so many angry letters. And <laughs> Klingon. Um. So when when I was Jesus first Christ. in college, covered with you know, shame. The, the Gonzaga University told me after my freshman year that I was no longer allowed to live in the dorms, <laughs> and they're. Otherwise, their universal <laughs> policy was all sophomores live in the dorms. Yeah, you had to. They, yeah, they were like, "No, you, no, you in the dorms." So I moved to an off-campus house with a bunch of like juniors and seniors, and it was fine. I mean, I was already like a year older because I had skipped a year before I went in. It wasn't, you know, and I, also I had zero responsibility. It's not like being in the dorms or out of the dorms was going to matter. I was going to be in trouble anyway. But we had a TV in the living room. And so we watched TV. And did you have we, uh, did you have cable? Uh, and we had well, no, there's no that way was on Fox. Oh wait, no, 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 we did have cable because we had MTV. Okay, wow. Uh, but so we watched all the shows from that little moment, that little window, which would have been 1989. So we saw Star Trek, mm-hmm. and we watched it religiously. We watched uh, 21 Jump Street and Married with Children. Mm-hmm. You still got, um, you still got Roseanne back in those days. Cosby. Roseanne. Probably still we, Cheers. We didn't watch Cosby. I mean, you know, it was it was stuff that was on. We Like, we weren't watching primetime at 9 p.m. Because by then we were out terrorizing. It was always like kind of mm-hmm. like, I'm not exactly sure how it is that we ended up. But it was, the thing is, we were stoners by this time. So it was perfect stoner tv yeah sure to watch season one of star trek you know it was just like whoa yeah (laughs) 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 um and that was that was that coincided with kind of what what i guess i think of as the last 
great years of MTV. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that. I know that. For the, that during the like grunge thing that happened a couple of years later, there was a lot, still a lot of MTV action, but I had, I I didn't have a TV then and I couldn't see it. So I was like oblivious to 1991 MTV. Yeah. I, in some ways I do feel like October, I'd always been 120 minutes person. I always taped 120 minutes. Um, but I feel like in some ways, October of 91, uh, where certain things got, out there for, for on MTV, uh, I really rejuvenated my interest in music videos. Right then, right mm-hmm. then. In 19- yeah, well, for, I mean, I can I can pin it to to Nirvana and Teenage Fan Club, where two things were like for the first time in years, I found myself like for the first time since like hip hop a few years earlier, where I'd find myself watching TV hoping the, this one video would come on. Yeah, yeah, I I, I definitely was. At someone's house when the Nirvana video came on and was like, dude, 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 let's watch this. And I didn't, I didn't even want to be that guy. I didn't mm-hmm. want to, I was like Nirvana, whatever, but it would come on and I was like, this is a really good video. It's a good video. Watch. But that year, 1989 was the year that Kevin Seal was a MTV mm-hmm. video. VJ. Yeah, right. And he was not a VJ for very long, but he made a huge impact on me. He was like a super role model in terms of just like being baked. He was, but he also, out- his, his presentation, another person contemporaneous from that time that was influential for me was, um, a little bit later, was um, Joel from Mystery Science Theater. There's a certain oh, yeah. kind of like, like you know, loping, stony doofus. Yes. Yeah. And it turned out Kevin Seal's a Seattle guy, and I ended up, I was in a play with him. Wow. I see him around, and he's married to uh, Seattle's famous mumblecore director, Lynn Shelton. How about that? Who's a nice lady. And so and so I've had the opportunity to like and he's not that much older than we are. And so I, I can so just hang around with him and just be like, wow, you're Kevin Seal. I'm still like uh, of all the people of all the celebrities I've ever met. I think I'm still just the most like gobsmacked yeah. about Kevin Seal. Mm. Yeah, uh, but so I don't have, I don't have the Star Wars uh, next generation under my belt. <laughs> So you didn't see it, and and there are a lot of those that I didn't see either that are that are very influential now. Like I've never seen mm-hmm. Saved by the Bell, I've never seen Full House, any of those things that people slightly younger than me really use as their reference point. I know any, I, yeah, you, any you, TV you show that things, has yeah. anyone except for Twenty One Jump Street is the only TV show that I ever watched where any cast member had a mullet. Was that Johnny Depp? Yeah. Jeez. Introducing Johnny Depp. I know. I know. To look that up. He must have been so young because this is before Gilbert Grape, right? Mm, yes. Wow. I think it's the first time any of us ever saw Johnny Depp. Eighty-seven. Wow. That is wild. Yeah. Richard Grieco. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. What about I, um, other other other? I'm sorry, I took you off your topic. Go ahead. Well, what I was just about to say is having having been a member of the nerd nerd culture for the last eight to 10 years. Mm -hmm. Like there is a, there uh, nerd culture has a very reference based culture. Yeah. I'd Um, agree. And, Oh, you know, who's really great at this is Paul Saboran. Oh yes. He's he's encyclopedic. And he really, you can also trigger that guy pretty easy. You can, (laughs) he's got a lot of little uh, things that he says, he mumbles under his breath, little references, but he's also really good at this thing. I'm, describing which is he makes the reference but it is it's not just 
uh, it's not just appropriate, but it's emotionally appropriate, right? Mm-hmm. And this is, I think, what I'm getting at with you. You don't just make the reference because somebody said a trigger <clears throat> word. Yeah, you're not, you, not going to just start yelling knights who say knee or something like that. Yeah, you're not just like, boing! It's, it's that you use it, you use the reference, and it's a metaphorical way into a problem. And or then it develops its own valence, a right. la what I want. What I want, right? And then, it, then it's like <laughs> it becomes it, a different thing. Not only are we both triggered all the time by our own. Well, because one of us will say thing. something that sounds even vaguely like that, and I just I, I start laughing and I hate it. It's so stupid. <laughs> and we and we did that to ourselves. That I wasn't know. necessary. Yeah, we like did it with we, that. We did it. We did it with um, what's his name, Professor X from uh, Mr. Show. I mean, we we really yeah. painted ourselves into a corner with these. There are a lot of Mr. Show things. A lot of Mr. Show things that somehow over the years I've I put into I put into my my data bank and they yes. and things pop out all the time where it's just like uh I, and no nobody around me anymore has, has oh, ever I even mean, heard of for Mr. Me, show. I, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, but like I would have to guess that it's well over a dozen. I mean, there's one I used yesterday, uh, which I guess is maybe somewhat, I don't know if it's obscure, but like if you're a fan, you know it. But like every time somebody, <clears throat> not every time, but sometimes somebody gets mad on Twitter. Um, oh, you know what it was? We were watching this this terrible sci-fi series called Face Off that I really love. And it's basically, it's a reality show for people doing Hollywood makeup and these really silly sponsored challenges. But like somebody got, got really, miffed, <laughs> somebody got miffed about what the judge or the person critiquing them said, <laughs> I just said, kind of under my breath, he he takes it personal and makes it personal. <laughs> With the velveteen touch of a dandy fop. <laughs> oh, this is insufferable. Well, and it is. And, and you know, one of, one of the first, we, I think the first time we stayed with you as a band, The Long Winters, you said something, you did your, your bit about like, yeah, sir. Served on a garbage can lid. White sauce not a problem. <laughs> White sauce not a problem. Yeah. Extra meat for a dollar. And, and I still say extra meat for a dollar. My daughter has no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> and like I told you, every night, every night about seven o'clock, I say shower down to get an A, and she just stares yeah. at me. Shower she doesn't know our show. Well, uh, you know, extra meat for a dollar. I mean, come on, that 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 ought to be a freaking T-shirt. Extra meat for a dollar. <laughs> but but Eric Corson, I still think will say white sauce not a problem and i don't even know if he knows what he's referring to <laughs> yeah yeah i have i have really fun now we're getting old but i have such fond memories of just sitting around in, uh, in our underwear watching like the office it was really fun yeah those were uh, the salad those, days those were good the salad days that's right when all you had to do was sit around and and uh, reference memes yeah and we had a tivo Pre- we had a tivo yeah. and some time yeah, we did. Yeah, that's right. We didn't have anything else to do, nowhere to go. Oh, and also, nobody had a phone. That, the, nobody was looking at their phone. Oh, you had so, to watch David Brent. There's nothing yes, else to do. We were still engaging in a, you guys have got to watch this, and nobody had to like look that's up from their phone. That's very interesting. That's an, mm-hmm. it, that is super interesting. Do, um, that's before you had a laptop, I think. You went with me to get a laptop. That is the source of our, of our show art. Our show art is us at the... At UCSF. University of San Francisco <laughs> Mac store. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Um, do you say anything upon waking on the first day of a new month, which, as we record this, will be uh, tomorrow, I believe, will be the first of May. Do you say anything when you wake up first thing, uh, first day of the month? 
No, I am unaware of calendar days in that way. Okay, so, it's not bioavailable right, to you. I did not know that tomorrow is the first day of the month. I would not have known it. I think usually it's like the fifth or sixth of a month before I'm like, oh, oh, look at that. We're in April. Um, I'm just not tuned into that kind of the demarcation. I'm very of time. tightly wound about trying very hard for the first words out of my mouth to be rabbit, rabbit. On the first day of a month. Yeah, it's good luck. Some people say bunny rabbit, and other people say rabbit, rabbit. It's good rabbit, luck rabbit. Uh, if you say a certain thing. Uh, and sometimes if I wake up in the middle of the night and it's after midnight, I'll, I'll just say it very quietly to myself and go, yeah, you got that one. <laughs> got in one. Nailed it. <laughs> no, the first thing that comes into my mind every morning uh, at, uh, immediately upon waking is how much stuff in my life I have uh, failed to accomplish. There's not a catchphrase for that. <laughs> no. I, if I, maybe if I said rabbit, rabbit, it would all go away. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's fun. Well, that's fun, that's, isn't it? That's yeah, a good really feeling. Fun. Uh, but I do. Let's see. So I, when Marlo was a little girl, I had a, and I'm I'm going to reference her name. Uh, yeah, yeah, guys, you don't need to keep writing it. It's good. We're, we're good. Uh, but um, did you know that John accidentally mentioned her name six months uh -oh, ago? Uh oh, oh I'll beep, go back beep. and I'll, go, I'll just get my time turner and go back and make sure nobody <laughs> hears it. Bleep it out. Ah. Uh, Oh, we were, she was a little baby and I was driving and we were getting close to the house. And I think it was a thing where she was getting fussy and I was like, look, we're almost home. You know, keep your, keep your thing together. She was a little baby. Mm -hmm. And I started to sing her this little song, which was just, um, Hey Marlo, we're almost home. Yeah, we're almost home. Hey Marlo, we're almost home. Yeah, we're almost home. And I would just sing it on a loop, and it's not in four four time, so it would just kind of tumble along with oh. itself. And now, and then for a long time, I just sang it every time we were within, uh, you know, ten blocks of the house. <laughs> One doesn't choose to do this; it just happens. <laughs> and now I uh, we don't do it as much because usually when we're ten blocks from the house, she's in the middle of some soliloquy, but she will sometimes say like, "Sing the song, sing the song." Uh, so we have like a little bit of uh, almost home song. That's a good song. Yeah, it's a good little song. I mean, it's don't uh, tell me you're not writing. It doesn't have you know. It doesn't. I think that is the chorus. It doesn't really. You should have just, just record record all your little jingles. <laughs> That's how Chris tonight makes is stew. Tonight is stew. The meat started to go bad, so I froze it. Now it's stew, stew, stew for you and you. It's stew. I'm so glad to hear that you do that, too. Oh, shit. I, I, I'm either going to have to throw this away or freeze it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I've done it. It's right right up to the edge. You think it's sort of like, I think I'm sure, I've, knowing me, I've referenced this when you mentioned this before. But when I was a kid, there was this conventional wisdom in our house that, first of all, if you have unused batteries, and, you know, you used fewer batteries back in the day. You put them in your mm -hmm. radio or something like that. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, if you had batteries, if you had D-cell batteries or 9-volt batteries, you store them in your refrigerator. But there was also conventional wisdom, because I come from a family that, that believes in magical thinking, that if you had a depleted battery, you could put it in the refrigerator and it would rejuvenate it. And I think that's kind of what you're doing for steer. You're I, rejuvenating the meat's freshness. I still have a refrigerator full of batteries. Was it, now, Kato, was that a thing in your house? Oh, absolutely. Was it, was it your mom or your dad, or who, where'd it come from? Both my mom and my dad kept refrigerator kept uh, batteries in the refrigerator because that's where what you, you keep did. batteries that's right um so and the thing is i don't 
I think a long time ago uh, that was debunked. Um, but I, I'm not sure. I haven't really. I'm not up to the the. Yeah, you don't read the trades. Yeah, I'm not up to the. the uh, you know what? I say that all the freaking time. And I, I don't read the. I trades. got it from you. I got it from yeah, you. Yeah, there you go. Yep. Uh, uh, but I don't. I don't know whether batteries. I'm just a, just a meat bag full of ticks. <laughs> I don't know whether batteries are better in the fridge or not. I'm sure someone's going to write us and tell us some. That's material okay. You, can, you don't need to do that. Thank you. Uh, but uh, but I still keep them in the fridge. Were you a butter in or butter out family? Uh, we were a butter in family, but then I, on my own, radically went completely out and became a butter out. Ditto person. and ditto. I was, well, in in Ohio, uh, I don't know, it's Ohio, you keep in the fridge. In Florida, I had a friend whose family kept the butter out, and it was was horrifying. I would never do that living in Florida. Yeah, 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 but I mean, you know, the thing is, the worst thing that happens here is it gets warm enough that our coconut oil turns to liquid. But, like, (laughs) you're good. Like, you can keep the, the butter out is so much better. I don't know, I can't believe how long I live with, with hard butter. Yeah, hard butter is so, it's just such a bummer. You know what it is? It's like, it's like you constantly have options now. You've got options. Sure. Yeah. Sure. If you want to if you want to go freeze the butter, it's even an option, but just, you know, sure. like there's butter on the table when the uh yeah, but you're in a ready to- stance. You got your knees yeah. are loose. You're ready to the move in any comes direction. Out, boom, yes. it's buttered. Yeah. Uh ketchup in or out. Ketchup in. Ketchup in the fridge. Ketchup in the fridge. That's too. We still do that. Yeah, we still I do I still do it here. I'm I'm on the I'm I'm kind of pioneering a new route actually mustard always i I think for most of my childhood mustard wasn't even in the house Mm -hmm. uh but now i have uh one of those crocs of stone ground mustard from Mm -hmm. france Mm -hmm. and i was using it that's uh, very rustic john oh it's so good it's exactly the kind of rustic that i believe in Mm -hmm. right and the thing is there are a lot of things in my pantry which purport to be from france Mm -hmm. Where it's like, oh, look at this French, and I get it, and I don't know whether it's from Bayonne, New Jersey, or whether it's you know whether it was like made here in Seattle. It's and gotten so it. hard to tell. But if if you put like if you put some label on a thing that says made in France on the traditional recipe from eighteen fifteen, Napoleon originally gave the Get, gave the first mustard seed from his Egyptian conquering. Just like, <laughs> I'm there. I will fucking put that on my table. And you keep, so it, I you keep this, it out now. So I'm keeping this big stone crock of mustard out on the table. And it just seems it just seems like, even though probably the the kind of French farmhouse thing I'm I'm hoping to be, mm-hmm. they probably put things in cupboards when they're done using them. Mm-hmm. Like they don't just have a table like mine that has unopened mail, mustard, like a Knights of Columbus sword. <laughs> and that's very know, welcoming. That's a very a, that's just come in, enjoy my home. Don't touch my sword. Radio and like yeah. un, unfolded laundry. Like that's not very French. But the mustard right in the middle of it, as I walk by, I'm like very happy with myself. Content. Like look at me, Mr. Mm-hmm. Mustard. Now Mr. Mustard mm-hmm. That was a very early... That was probably the single fanciest thing in our house. Mustard. M- Mr. What? Mustard in particular. Oh, oh Mr. Mustard. Because it, uh, it was like, it wasn't yellow. It wasn't the, the classic, like, yellow mustard. I mean, you yeah. know what I mean? It wasn't the classic, like, Heinz or whatever. 
hot dog mustard. Hot dog mustard. No, that was Mr. Mustard was very fancy, and I think we always used a little wooden spoon when we did it. It was it was oh, very it was very continental. That's right. You need a mustard spoon. You got a mustard spoon. Yeah. Uh, in in high school, there were some guys that were a year or two older than me, and they were like the kind of fun. They weren't the they weren't like the they none of them were ever going to get elected most humorous in their class <laughs> because in order to be most humor humorous you had to be at least at my high school of 2800 kids you had to be a real daredevil you had to be one of those kids that was funny and also mean and dangerous mm-hmm. you know to be most humorous right mm-hmm. i was elected most humorous of my class and it was it was fucking obvious I was going oh, to sure, be. sure. But also there but beyond, was... Beyond snark, I mean, penetrating, penetrating remarks. But then there was a, there were, there were, I think, two guys in my class that were hoping for an upset uh, that they would get elected most humorous. And I remember when they announced it, and this is <clears throat> back in high school when they would come over the announcements and say, all right, well, we have the senior superlatives, the ballots have been counted, and they read it aloud, like, over the intercom for the entire school... Uh, and when when I was announced as most humorous of the senior class, mm-hmm. um, I heard reports that that uh, a, that a kid in some other class cried out, cried out. Oh no! Cried out like a million, like millions of souls, all crying out and getting at once, uh, because he he thought maybe he had a chance. Maybe it was the th- it was the thing. It was the one flag he was going to plant in this in this life. Oh, poor kid. Yeah, and I think now he's probably just, I don't know, yeah. he's living in his car. <laughs> but but these guys were not uh, ever going to be most humorous of their class, but they were a gang of little, like, funny dudes. And they kind of remind me of that, like, um, they kind of remind me of, like, Chris Hardwick types. Mm-hmm. You know, like, Chris Hardwick is hilarious, and but also creative and fun, and he's got a little gang of people around him all the time. And but he's, all he's not mean-spirited. No, and he's not like most humorous of the class, right? Mm-hmm. He's he's something else. And these guys were that. And they had lots of little inner inside you know gags and and uh, actually at one point one of them uh I think one of them was born again Christian and then sometime in the middle of high school like they all became Christians. Whoa, that's right. And it was it was radical. It was just like are you guys, what happened? And then after that, they became a really insular little gang. They were still, you know, funny, but they were also on their own trip. Mm-hmm. But they're the ones that gave me the nickname uh, Rip Roaring, Rad Dog, Radical, Rockin', Righteously, Rascal, and Reefer, and Robert, uh, Roderick. Rip Roaring, Rad Dog, Radically, Rockin', Righteously, Rascal, rad, Rip Roaring, Rad Dog, Radical, Rockin', Righteously, Rascal, and Reefer, and Roderick. Uh, and they would say, they came up with that themselves and then would say it to me in its entirety every time they would pass me in the hall <sighs> until like other kids picked it up. And there are still, I got an email the other day addressed to Rad Dog. Wow. From somebody in Alaska. You made an impact. Well, it was these guys that had come up with this nickname for whatever reason. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Like that's, and it's, it's, it's in that school of like a bunch of funny guys who, Decided that they're going to call this kid yeah, by a name that's boogie. like mm-hmm. that's yeah the well, that's by you know and and the choice of like we're gonna his nickname is going to be seventeen words long like that's a, that that's like a, a little bit of an art choice on their part yes 
but they were the they were the gang and i think at one point they were watching a movie in a class and the sound cut off and so the teacher was fiddling with the wires and the whole class was watching it without sound and then suddenly it came back on really loud cuz she turned up the volume and the first words that came out of the character's mouth was no mustard <laughs> And so that became like their, it, that was written on their banner. They would just say no mustard. It was, it was how they announced their entrance, you know, no mustard. Huh. And, and it that, was kind of how, how it started. Huh. Yeah. It was kind of how they replied to things as a group. You know, if you asked a question, they'd be like, no mustard. We so did, they, they had that a little bit with no soap radio, no soap radio. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? What is oh, no it's a, it's one of those, uh, uh, what do you call that kind of joke that's not really a joke? Uh, a podcast? Mm. <coughs> this episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you by Squarespace. You can learn more about Squarespace right now by visiting squarespace.com slash supertrain. There are so many things that you can do with Squarespace, you guys. You can create a beautiful website to turn your cool idea into a new site. You can showcase your work. You can make a blog or publish other kinds of content. You can make galleries. You can sell products and services, promote your physical or online business. You can even announce an upcoming event or a special project. I do that right now. If you go to MerlinM.com slash meetup, that's where I publish when the Ungainly X-Man meetup will be happening. I use it all the time, and I love it. Uh, we use it for this show. We use it for Roderick on the Line. This is how you are listening to this podcast. It's all done through Squarespace. And, and so you say to yourself, you say, but uh, how even does Squarespace do this? Well... I'll tell you, they do this by giving you beautiful templates that are created by world-class designers. They give you powerful e-commerce functionality that lets you sell anything online. Of course, the ability to customize the look and feel of your site, the settings, products, and more with just a few clicks. You don't need to know CSS. You don't need to know HTML or JavaScript. You basically know how to drag stuff around. You're good to go. You can go with Squarespace. One thing I love, everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box. It looks great on any device or dingus. And they have a new way to buy domains. You can choose from over 200 domain name extensions. Of course, they have analytics that help you grow in real time and built-in search engine optimization. They have free and secure hosting, nothing to ever patch. And of course, they also have their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Squarespace are encouraging folks to make it. Make it stand out. Stand out with a beautiful website. I couldn't agree more. Like I say, I, I love Squarespace. I've used it for years. I don't know what I would do for this. Uh, I mean, I could probably manage it, but as it is, one reason you're able to get this show within minutes after us finishing recording is Squarespace makes it so easy. We do it all. We love them. So please do me a favor right now. Even if you've heard about it before, please go check them out. You go to squarespace.com slash supertrain. And get a free trial with no credit card required. And when you're ready to launch, please use the very special offer code SUPERTRAIN, that's one word, at checkout. And that'll save you 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Roderick on the Line and all the great shows. And we're back. <clears throat> uh, so, no mustard. No mustard. Do you hear the guy with the lawnmower in the background? I don't. Oh, he's trying to, he's getting in while he can. <laughs> He's like, just, he, I'm, I can just picture the kind of soggy clumps of grass that he's producing. Poor How guy. recently has it rained there? Uh, well, the rain, you know, the, at this, in this season, the rain comes and goes, and it rains kind of every day, but not all day. Okay. It's just like always, it could be raining right now. I'm looking out the window, and I can't tell you whether or not it's raining, because the sky is that is that northwest color so the light is every all the light is just kind of 
blue. Mm-hmm. There's no gold in the light right now. And that could mean that there's water in the air mm-hmm. or not. Uh, and San Francisco is no stranger to this. It's just that you guys have more fog and also like it's not quite as well it's not so green so when you look out here like if it is raining there's no way you you'd be able to tell certainly not with my glasses prescription hmm. uh and, and you don't you don't hear it no it's because it's a it's like a mm-hmm. it's just a permeation of water rather than a the drops never really formulate into drops it's just kind of like right just it's like water that comes in off the ocean and gets filtered through a bunch of pine trees. It hasn't so, made you sing Super Tramp yet. No, no, because it is not that kind of rain. Mm-mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> <clears throat> I don't God, think about Super Tramp enough. They're really, you know, they have some good songs. Oh, absolutely. They really do. You know, they get a they get a hard they get they get lumped in. I think with the. Uh, they get lumped in with a with a. I mean, how do you wait, who do you music. lump them in with? They were so the closest I can think of is just bands I liked at the same time. So I mean, I think of them as being kind of like sticks, but they're nothing like sticks. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think of them as like, I think if you tarnish them, they they get put into an air supply box. Ooh, yikes! Right, that's tarnish. And I and the thing is, air supply's got some jams. But there, but Super Tramp belongs in a separate category. But it's not like you're going to put Super Tramp in a foreigner box either. No, no. I mean, I would almost put them closer to Genesis. Okay. I mean, just because they're a little bit more, they want to be smart. And they're a little bit proggy. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Okay. I get that. Like you're talking about, you're talking about a Trevor Horn era Genesis. Like uh, 80s Genesis. No, I mean, I guess I'm thinking of like when the ascension of Phil Collins, a very Collins, under, Genesis, a very right. underrated period in Genesis is not 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 when they get shitty in the in the mid 80s, but like I'm thinking like you know the stuff that I, I assume I think stuff you like like the Turn It On Again era or um, you know Duke like the Duke era, right? And I and <laughs> when I said Trevor Horn, I was not talking about Genesis. You're talking about yes. I was talking about yes. Yeah, I know. And and, and I know. And I assume also, our listeners know. <laughs> Yeah, and I also I would put I would put Trevor Horn yes in that category too. So like there, I feel like their big hit was probably Logical Song. Yeah, and that was probably seventy seven seventy eight. See, I followed through to where I had the cassette of the Roger Hodgson solo album, the singer guy. Uh, you well, but that was kind of a good record, right? Yeah, it was good. I had a very silly video. I think I remember him running in the video a lot. But um, <clears throat> let's, let's look at the hits of Supertramp. I mean, Logical Song is probably the one a lot of people know. What else did they do? Take Dreamer. a look at my girlfriend. <gasps> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Not much of a girlfriend. Girlfriend. Give a little bit. So, you got give a little bit. You got a little bit of a uh, little sus four on there. That's a little sus four, don't you think? I would da-dun, put that. In, I would put that in the sus four. You know the. Uh, uh, it's it's easy to get them confused, except that their vocals are so are so distinctive. Absolutely. Wow. See, First no, Super Tramp record, nineteen seventy. I never would have. I never would have said that. No. Really. Nineteen seventy. Let's go to the full Super Tramp discography. 
Now, see, now the Internet Science page has them labeled as a progressive rock band. That, so yep. that would that would that would follow along the lines of what I'm thinking of in terms of like being a little like Genesis. Yeah. Uh, well, and also, you know, the like uh, it says here that they have oh, bloody uh, well, right. That's a great tune. That's a great and they, song. They had they had guitar solos from Pink Floyd's David Gilmore. Uh, you know, oh, he's so classy. I love that guy. Handsome nice. and classy. Very handsome. Very classy. Very very proper. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think we've talked about how how proper David Gilmore is. And oh, I, oh, even when he was like a long haired hippie, he was very proper. Take the long way home. Oh, take the long way home. I can tell you when that came out. That came out when I was in military school. That's for damn sure. Uh, that was a military a school bit. song. Give a little bit. Give a little bit. Did we talk about that the one already? Moments. Uh, yeah, that's oh. Sus4. Dreamer. Nah. Nothing but a dreamer. They got Super lots Tramp. of hits here, Super Tramp. Boy, look at this. Lots of song. Think... Oh, Goodbye Stranger. Take the long awesome way song. home. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. It's they're, time. They're... It's time for a reassessment of Super Tramp. I feel like Super Tramp is, it, w- was sneaking it in there the whole time. Yeah. We love all the tunes, but we just never... I mean, who's going to say, I'm a Super Tramp fan? You don't hear it. You don't hear it. You, you will still run into a lot of Genesis people. A lot of yes people up here. I got so many yes people around me. Is that a little bit hip to like? Well, yeah. I mean, so... hip in the sense of like it's, turn, it's turned around and come back, and we're like, it's not just roundabout. But like, uh, what's the one song? That, that one song I like a lot with the bass? Mm-hmm. What's that guy's name? Chris Chris Bass? Chris Squire. What's that, song? What's that called? It's one of those uh, terrible uh, prog rock names. A heart of... Heart... Yes. Heart of... Yes. Heart, heart of stone. Heart of... Heart of the sun? Wood. Heart, heart of, of the morning. The heart of the... Heart of the... Heart, heart of the... Yes. Uh, uh, heart like uh, avocado. Of, Heart of the heart, sunrise. Heart of the sunrise. So there was a. I'm not going to release this. There this was is a, terrible. There was a bass player in Seattle uh, that everyone should know about. His name was Joe Skyward, uh, but he was known pretty uh, widely as Joe Bass. Ooh, Joe and Bass. Something in a rose bass. Joe Bass. Joe Bass. Joe Bass was bass. the bass player in the Posies for the Frosting and the Beater era. It's a good era. He uh, was also, he played the bass on the first Long Winters record. Yes. Uh, Joe was, but he was ubiquitous in the Seattle scene. He played uh, in a lot of bands. He was in Sky Craze Mary, but he played in a lot of uh, Seattle rock acts. Everybody knows him. He's like legendary, famous. And he died uh, uh, just a couple of years ago. Oh, no. After valiantly fighting cancer <sighs> uh, for a long time. But Joe was, he was a little bit older than us, um, you know, by, by, uh, by a fair margin. And in fact, he came up in conversation the other day because Sarah Vowell and I were having a drink together. Oh, you're friends with her. And she reminded me. That Joe was from Bozeman, Montana, where she grew up. Hmm. And she had this wonderful story about how Joe worked at the record store. And she was this little kind of teenage, um, you know, like rock and roll goth girl. She would go down to the record store. And here was Joe, who was extremely cool, dude. I mean, he was very, very cool. Um and he would he would kind of walk her through like buying cool records, and I met him out here in Seattle when I first got to town, and everybody was so cool. My God, you could not go in you couldn't go into a coffee shop and order a coffee here without like 
somebody giving you 50 different kinds of signaling about how maybe you should Mm -hmm. turn turn around and go back outside and try again (laughs) it was just like so hard to be coffee shops had a doorman (laughs) you know and the doorman was like a guy that was nodding off in the door but like he had to decide whether or not you were sufficiently like ground down by the by the weight of the world Mm -hmm. so hard to be 21 years old here at the time because it was just like come on i'm the same as you guys we're all this we're all wearing the same fucking denim jacket you're different size fish but you're all in the same pond yeah wrong you Mm -hmm. are not your denim jacket is wrong anyway there he there was this tiny little music store on pine that was only open for five months and it was joe he decided, like, and this is just the you know kind of person he was. He was like, I'm going to open a music store, and it was open for five or six months, and then it closed. But wow. he would he would sit behind the counter there, and I went in one time, and needed some strings. And here was this guy who was just like really cool dude. You could just tell how cool a it music was. instrument shop. It was a music instrument shop, mm-hmm. and it was one of those that you used to be able to do because you could open, you could, you could go find a landlord uh, who had a shop front in the center of town and say, Hey man, I want to open a guitar shop. And the guy would say, great, you know, 400 bucks a month. Yeah, And and so he had like, he had like seven guitars up on the wall that were all like weird, you know, grunge style, uh, like Tedesco's or whatever up there. Mm -hmm. And he had strings and picks and hackstrums. Yeah. Hagstrom's. He had some capos and the, and you could, you could like go for it. You could just start a business. <laughs> you can start a business, you know, and like get some, maybe work. Get some Ernie balls. You're good to go. Nowadays, if you were, if you wanted to open a guitar store on pine, you would have to have like a first round of funding. Oh, Jesus. Anyway. So I went in there and I was like, uh, you know, I need some strings and I was just prepared for this person to be like strings. You don't need strings. You know what you need? Go back to whatever shit town you came from. And Joe Bass was like, yeah, man, sure. Like, what kind of strings? Like, tell me about your guitar. Like, what's your story? Wow. And I was so bathed in the openness of this guy. It's very kind. It was great. And he was just like, uh, and I decided I'm going to come to this store every day. So then I became a regular at this guitar store where I would sit and talk to him about the Hagstroms just because I wanted to hang out with this guy who was really friendly. And he was friendly to everybody that came in. And I think I even, he was like, I'm closing up shop for a minute. I got to go home and like see a man about a horse. You want to like, like, uh, come along. And I like walked with him over to his basement apartment or something. You know, and this guy at the time was 30. So it just seemed like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm on a different plan. Uh, anyway, he was a tremendous booster of yes during that whole period where nobody was going to, was going to like, come for yes that was Nobody pretty was, definitely a yes like public latent period yeah you were not gonna like put the flag up for yes but he had a he had like a yes button on his on his jacket and during sound check or whatever he would play yes bass lines and so what joe did was he made it safe for people to like yes okay and then all the all the people that loved rush could also love rush under the umbrella of the fact that Joe Bass was out there, you know, rocking Yes and Rush on everybody, and he was, like, one of the cool dudes. So that's very specific to this region. Mm-hmm. 
But okay. I can't think okay. of I can't think of liking Yes or Russ and Rush in a hipster context without thinking that it's Joe Joe Bass is responsible. Those people are so what, important. It's so important to have those. I mean, it sounds silly as a grown ass man to say something like this, but somebody who is open and kind and introduces you to stuff or reintroduces you to stuff or. I don't know a better phrase than contextualize this stuff. We used to have a neighbor that lived right behind me. This is so improbable. Lived right behind me in uh, Florida. And this is like in a retirement community. And this uh. guy was probably the coolest adult I had met in the town. He was a professional guitar player who lived in this person's garage. He had a Marshall half stack and a Strat. Uh-huh. And, and he introduced me to the Sex Pistols as well as many other things. And he let me borrow his Nevermind the Bollocks album. Like, it was amazing. And I would just go there and watch him smoke pot and, like, shred. And it was, like, the best thing ever. But, like, you're right. I mean, there are people who are able to, like, even, like, kind of, like, um, you know, he's a slightly marginal character. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, like, you know, those people are just, they're so freaking important in life. Yeah, right. Because because he wasn't just, because I didn't care about Yes and Rush. I mean, I liked him fine, but I wasn't going to... That wasn't a thing that I was going to live or die about. But what he was saying was, yes, everything in this town seems really locked down. Yeah, it's and, a bigger thing. Yeah, and it's you know, and if you like, if you like uh, this, you're cool, and if you don't like it, you're not cool. And he was just saying like, nah, man. And that little tiny bit of like, nah, man, just was like it carved out a huge amount of space for me to be like, well, you know, you. On the other hand, you can be a weirdo. Uh, even in a town where everyone's professing to be a weirdo, you can, you know, you, and I, I think that's not, that's not as big a deal now, maybe because everybody now is, is pushing that angle. But, but back then it was, you know, that uh, the cultures were homogenous more or less. They were, but it's, it's also like sometimes, whoa, I found a picture of him on MySpace. Look the dude? Him. Yeah. The guitar dude? Yeah, he was out still shredding. He's in the Encyclopedia Metallum. Uh-huh. He, oh, what is oh 1993, his demo, Metallum. Accuser of Brethren. Ooh. How old is this guy? He he was probably about 30 then. I was 17. Wow. Wow. Wow, he's still out there. I'll protect his privacy. Oh, well, I probably already screwed it up. But anyway, um, but there's also, there's something, uh, I don't know, it's just, I don't have anything very deep to say here, but like, everybody especially after the 90s, you develop a certain kind of, like, uh, reflexive shield of sneering and irony and, you know, kind of self-consciousness. And then there's a certain flavor of, like, okay, it's, it's okay to like this thing ironically. Right. But, like, there's it's something... I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it. But sometimes you get exposed to people who are able to recontextualize something for you to go like, it's just a thing in the world. And you can like it or not like it, or you can be into it or not into it. Or in your case, opens you up to this bigger world where you feel like it's a little bit of an emperor has no clothes situation where you're like, well, I know I'm still going to have to live in this system, but at least now I know that that system is a system. That like the way that people behave and what's considered okay and the phrase I like that uh, the Overton window for this may be where it is right now, but yeah. like that doesn't exclude my learning about these other things and like I'm not just going to learn about Paganini because Ingve's into it like that could be a good thing that you learn on your own you learn a little bit of Bach you pick up some of this stuff and it doesn't have to be because it's just one pivot away from this other thing there's things you can just appreciate you know on their own I think I think it's I think the oh, the window is there for people to just like Rush because they're Rush. I don't think you have to be cute about it. You're you're not a Rush fan though. I am. You no no no. I love Rush. Yeah. I think I think Rush is amazing. I think and, they're I and, think they're they're like a, they're like legit really good. 
Now, all Super Tramp, now, if you and I start fronting on, uh, as, as Super, Super Tramp fans, people are going to think we're being cute. Because everybody's no, going to go, who, who's Super Tramp? Because you're going to, you got to, we just threw down six hits they had this over the course of a decade. This episode, I feel like, may require a Spotify playlist. What I don't know is, is, is Super Tramp Deep Catalog as good as Super Tramp? Like, yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> My friend Eric is now, who's now the guitar player, or one of the, he's, I guess, the lead guitar player of Portugal, the man, is mm-hmm. an Alaskan kid. And he said, at one point, we were sitting around admiring the hits of, um, uh, not Gordon Lightfoot. Um, Dan Fogelberg? No, because those are, those are Jonathan Colton. <laughs> I was going to uh, say, that's a fun, <laughs> I always think of Jonathan Colton now. Yeah, th- those are, jo- no, Jerry Rafferty. All right. uh, we were sitting around uh, admiring the, you know, what, what you think of as the, you know, the three his, or four. What was his old band? Uh, Steelers Wheel. Yeah. Okay. Right. So Jerry Rafferty's got, you know, he's got he some Baker good, Street. He's got Baker Street, but he's also got uh, what was the? Um, he had he had another hit from that from that same record. Yes. 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 Uh, he did. Let me get it. Oh my gosh. Uh, his his. Other hit was come on, um, right down the line. Right down the line. Yeah, right. A great it was hit. You, woman. That's a good song. It's a really good song. But he's he, is he, he the singer on "Stuck in the Middle with You." Yeah, "Stuck okay. in the Middle with You." That's him. Um, we were talking about it, and he many and of these so, now many of these tracks are already on the playlist I made called "Made of Cocaine." Because right, I don't know if you're aware of this, I, I sometimes make playlists for the show. There was one called "Made of Cocaine" uh, that I believe has a lot of these artists on it. I feel like we 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 come back to these guys periodically, but cocaine's uh, like like it's like it's like oil. Like I don't love that that we have to use it, but like it's around. It's it's what the music is made of. This music definitely was made of cocaine. <laughs> but Eric, you don't put uh, sax like that on a record without some cocaine. Uh, he was saying <laughs> that that album, the album that has Baker Street on it. Yeah, he was like, listen, that is one of like. Everybody slept on that record because that that song is such a hit. Mm-hmm. But he's like, this is one of those albums that is pure gold, start to finish. Really? And I was like, I've never listened to it. No, because you think of it as a, like a from 70s the album AM city, radio hit. City to City, nineteen seventy eight. City to City, and he's saying like, every it's just, that record right. is gold from top to bottom. Adding it. So that's kind of in that Super Tramp family too. Of like, oh yeah, that's. I mean, I know those tunes, but. But I don't understand why that would be. Those Super Tramp songs are so good, and yet the Aerosmith records from that same era mm-hmm. I've listened to all the way through. I know every Pink Floyd record from that era. Why was nobody listening to Super Tramp? What was what was what was on them? But they were huge. Breakfast in America was like that was the record that year, I think. But there had to there had to be some schmutz on them or something that we that they didn't uh that nobody was like, oh, these guys. Right. I mean, right. I think I remember a girl who had a super tramp, like, painting on her denim jacket. Oh, my God. And I and I think at the time I was like, weird, like, weird, like, what cult are you in? Mm-hmm. Like, what, what kind of, like, wife-swapping world do you have to live in where you have super tramp on your jacket? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I do. That's I what do. it felt you like. You know they kept their ketchup out. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> Not only that, we don't refrigerate salad dressing. Put your keys in the bowl. Put your keys Dream in the bowl. <laughs> I can 
see the house so clearly. They have a conversation pit. They got a pit group. They got a projection oh. TV and just they a have, shit ton of cocaine. <laughs> they, they took all the doors off and they just have beads, bead curtains oh, between yes. all the doors. Yes. And they're, and they're listening to Super Tramp. Oh, man. So why is that? Why would that be? I don't get it. There, there are those there are those bands. I mean, you know, one you mentioned earlier that, like, it's funny you just don't hear or think about so much except for a couple songs is Foreigner. Like, well, yeah, but Foreigner Four was such a. That's the thing, though. Foreigner Four, and you had what was it? Was that was the one Thomas Dolby played on? I think. Really? Yeah, he did the keyboards on that. I did not know that. I'm pretty sure that's the one with Jukebox Hero, right? Circa '82 or so. So Foreigner Four, I think, can't. Yeah, Jukebox Hero. It's also got '81. Shit, dog, '81. So this was this was junior high for me. Yeah. But this was me the too. record this was the first record I think, you know, this and Back in Black came out and sort of bookended what felt like a big right turn that everything was taking mm-hmm. because this was also we were this was post Blondie. Yeah. For, but, Foreigner had always been pretty smooth. I mean, you go back and listen to something fuck something fucking great like uh, like Rev on the Red Line. Like those songs are so good, but this one was really Oh, it's fucking Mutt Lang. It's Mutt Lang. Well, but so 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 the record that came out before this, Head Games, mm-hmm. uh <laughs> instead of making that, love, you play that was Head a, Games. <laughs> that was a good tune. <laughs> and I feel like <laughs> that album cover is so bad. Uh, but uh, but oh no, it was the one right before that, Double Vision, which had oh, hot blooded right. and Double Vision. Double Vision. And so I yeah, feel yeah. like that record in seventy. Oh, they had Blue Morning, Blue Day. That's such a good song. Yep. That was like right in the middle of punk and new wave, mm-hmm. and these guys were just like rock and roll. And in my high school, I feel like when I was a freshman, the seniors that were graduating, I think I've told you this before, right? That the that when. Um, what was what was that uh, that movie that came out in the '90s where it was about high school American high school in the '70s? Single? No. Oh, oh, oh. No. in the '70s. Uh, yeah, it had. Uh, that was where the line like high school girls stay the same age. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, the guy from Austin. Um, oh Matthew my God. McConaughey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, all right, all right. It's oh, oh, called. Yeah, I know the one you mean. It's after Slacker. It's yeah, it's American American High Car. Summer. I think it's called American, American Car. American Car. <laughs> <laughs> Why so, has there never been a movie called American Car? <laughs> we should start writing it immediately. What's it called? No, well, come on, we got to get this. It's, movie, it's called Floppers. Movie. It's called Floppers. It's, it's no, called. it's called. Uh, it's called. What, it's you called know, everybody liked uh, Aerosmith. Aer- Aerosmith. Uh, it's called what it's it called sounds like FM, to be FM Boys. Of a heart FM record. Boys. No, because there it's was football playing and stuff. Hot, it's called That 70s Show. Hot rotting. The, the movie. Yes, American Car. American oh, Car. Oh, shit. It's called, it's called... It's called... What's the guy's name? Dude, the guy from Slacker. What's his name? Dude, where's my Dude, dude, high dude looks like a hot rod. Oh, uh, shit. It's called... Um, uh, um, swingers. Wet Hot American <laughs> Swingers. It's called... What's the guy's name? Who directed Slacker? What's the guy's name? Uh, well, Linkletter. Kenneth Jones. Okay, Richard Linkletter. <laughs> <laughs> I can remember Super Trek. It's got, it's got uh, Matthew McCarthy <laughs> Matthew in it. McCarthy's Dazed and Confused, there 1993. Dazed and Confused, Amer- 1993. Also, an original title, American Car. American Car. Mm-hmm. And when that movie came out, it really was, uh, it, it, like, it did a number on us, right? Because 
and and this was this would be absolutely true of you too. Mm-hmm. The the freshmen in that movie would have been seniors when I was a freshman. Oh, we're doing the equidistant thing. Oh God! Well, but 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 even in '93, I think about this constantly. It meant that although I was not in high school in 1978, I was in high school in 1982, and in Anchorage, 1982 made 1978 look like 1945. <laughs> right. So so it was all still real. I mean, when I watched that movie, it was really real because the music was the same, the styles were the same. I mean, it, it looked like what my high school looked like, except there's a huge difference between 1978 and 1982. Enormous difference. Say those words again. The high school, my high school felt like the high school in Dazed and Confused. Like all the dynamics were the same. Yes, yes, yes. I have to say, like, up until 1982, it felt like the 70s, mid-70s, for sure. Yes, right. And and I, I was thinking about this the other day. Like, my parking lot at the at our high school had, was was wall-to-wall muscle cars. Every one of those muscle cars would be worth $80,000 now. Just, you know, Camaros or whatever else. And that was just the, that was still the culture, right? The, the like, 70s muscle car, car culture was still true in, like, suburban high schools and rural high schools until the mid-80s, at least. Right? And maybe, mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't know much later than that, but you were still, you still, like, had a bitch in Camaro or your pot dealer drove a Mustang Mach 2 or whatever, or Mach 1. Uh, and then somewhere along the line, that all changed. And I think it was, I think it was when all the cool fast cars were only being made in Japan, and American cars were garbage. Something happened in there. Mm-hmm. But Foreigner was a bridge between those two worlds because Foreigner felt like they were very much in that in that still dazed and yeah. confused culture. But somehow they also made they made the transition to MTV, where all those other bands kind of did not, right? Foreigner that's a, that's was, actually a really good example where it it was they were legitimately very much a mid to late seventies sounding band, and then legitimately like like just on the verge of new wave, really. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and somehow produced like these these big big hits in the eighties that were maybe, they wanted they wanted to know what love is. They wanted to know what love is. And further to that, they wanted wanted someone to show him. Yeah. And they, and would you count somehow, Van Halen? Would you count Van Halen in that? Not really. No, they're so they were so their own thing. They really were, and and they, I've, they were eighties even in the seventies. It felt it felt like wow. I mean, they, they kind of invented the eighties. Mm. I want to put a fork hey. in that. How about, how about this? First Van Halen album comes out in nineteen seventy eight. DLR leaves the band in nineteen eighty five. Like that felt like a lifetime, right? That's, well. In that amount of time, the Long Winters have still not released another record. Well, um, <laughs> just if you're keeping track of the math, uh, from Van Halen 1 to DLR leaving, Diamond Dave leaving is seven years. Um, that was 33 years ago. Yeah. So, yeah. You That's something, be, something to think about. Well, you know, I, uh, doing this Friendly Fire podcast with these two uh, dingalings, mm-hmm. Adam is not young. He's like 40 or what? 30 or something. I, no, maybe. he's a kid. What are you talking no, about? No, I've always said that when I first met him. He's the kid with the like, camera. No way is he that old. I was like, hey, kid, come over here. And he was like, I'm not a kid. I'm 30. Oh, and I was this like, is very, no, you're very, not very a, you're upsetting. Not 30. You're not 30. So I think he's 38. Let's call him 38. And then, Adam? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
All right, and then if you Ben say Harrison so. is like 31 or something, 32. I'm older than but, a Supreme Court justice. Which one? The new guy. Really? He's younger than I. You know, he's got a job for life. Yeah, well. <laughs> the fun job. <laughs> so anyway, you do the show with the two dinglings. Oh, right. And Him and uh, Benjamin? Ben Harrison, yeah. And uh, we were having a conversation, and this is the type of thing that just comes out where it's like, neither one of them has ever seen MASH. The TV show. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, how do you... Uh, what? And they're just like, yeah, it just wasn't on TV. I was talking with some, texting with some friends last night about Built to Spill. And oh, like, oh, oh. you know, one of, one of these friends is, I think, 31. The other one is, I think, 27. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, he has a favorite Built to Spill album that's a little later than my favorite Built to Spill album. And she, and she was like, whoa, you guys are old. <laughs> For her, it's like music, like like it's her equivalent of me being into like Revolver. If you take, if you do the, if you do the equidistant thing, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, oh yeah, where you might like the thing is like you know you might be that's a bad example. Maybe more like um, I don't know, but something from the mid mid to late '60s. It it really was somebody else's music that you eventually caught into, but it wasn't your music. You know what uh, I mean? In the same well, way, that built built to spill was my music. I mean, I was there. GBV was my music. Super chunk. All those bands. Like I was there every step of the way, and right. hearing the the hearing when it came out, making an assessment about how I felt about it, and like you know, built to spill and, and GBV would be two that I was riding real hard. Like I knew I knew what was happening in those bands super well. Me too. Well, built to spill's first record came out in '93. Mm-hmm. The EP, ultimate, the Rock ultimate Stars alternative thing. waivers. Uh, three years ago today, and mm-hmm. then you got. Um, but no, I'm a, I'm a nothing wrong with love guy, which I think is '94. I think we're a little later than that, but maybe nothing wrong with love. '93, '94, something like that. Were, looking they, it were up. they putting out two records a, a, a year then? I don't know, but I mean... Uh, so we're talking about if you are 25 years old right now and listening to this show, oh boy. you were born when Built to Spill's Ultimate no, Alternative not, Waivers came oh, out. Oh, I'm not okay with that. No, 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 I'm not okay with 25 that. 25 years old, you are a fully-fledged hey. person with big ideas. That's like me being into pet sounds. You could have graduated from law school oh, and have on. been born at the time of uh, Ultimate Alternative Waivers. So... Let's just See, now, talk Max, about Max is a Max is a perfect from now on guy, which is an album that I like. But it's for me, record. like it's a really good album. But like for me, nothing wrong with love. That's that's and that was so that's September ninety four. Jesus Christ, yeah. you're right. So so nothing wrong with love, right? That was the uh, by Phil Phil Eck, which you have a file yeah. card on. Yeah, he did your uh, Western State Hurricanes demo, right? He did. He did. I met Phil Eck when he was twenty years old. Uh, he was working as the sound man. He was working as a waitress in a cocktail bar mm-hmm, when he met you. Uh, that's the that's the one thing I got right. <laughs> he was working as the sound man at the off ramp where I worked, and he was underage because he was from Bremerton or something. And they they let him in, and they put an X on his hand, and he'd stand behind the. He was the assistant sound man. There was a there was a sound man, a proper sound man, who had like uh, who had who. who who was the singer of, of Foreigner, Lou Ferrigno? Yeah, Lou. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you're thinking of Phil Graham, Senator Phil you, Graham. Yeah, yeah. You remember you remember the like Lou Graham's uh, big curls? He had those big he curls. He had a receding hairline and big curls. Big curls. And that was what the sound guy at the off-ramp had. And then sure. Phil was this tall, gangly kid with, with short hair who worked the soundboard. So I knew him all the way back then. We okay. worked 
And then he became, uh, this is Phil Luck with some tracks from the new Built-Us Pill record. I know. Oh, kick you so in the head, I'll kick, kick you in, in the, the head. head. Oh, God. Um, that Twin Falls, Idaho song, though, man. Whew. Well, I, and I, you know, we've talked about Built This Bill before. I cannot, I cannot, it still feels unfinished. I have not put a label on that box and put that box in the attic yet. Hmm. And I'm still I mulling it over. Yeah, I still, and I don't know what goes in that box and what comes out of it. I don't know. Uh, it's very complicated. I became good friends with Scott Pluff, the, the drummer. Um, and then he, uh, you know, and it's not like we fell out. We just like stopped hanging out with each other. Uh, but a long enough time ago that that also feels like a memory. He's working as a baker now. He's like work. He, he's a very good cook. Nothing like wrong it. with love was his, uh, the second album he produced. Uh, uh, Eck, you're talking mm-hmm. about. Yeah. But you know, Eck goes on to make. Well, you can, uh, you can kind of guess what city this fellow's from. Band of Horses, Fleet Foxes, Modest Mouse, The Shins, <laughs> Built to Spill, right. uh, 764 Hero. Yeah. Big so business he went on to, honey. to make, uh, you know, to make some big, big, big albums. He did Shoots Too Narrow. Yeah. Oh, he did Lace Ivy Five. Oh, look at this. And uh, like all that Band of Horses stuff. I mean, he's got a really great sound. Oh, that's Phil, a great sound. Phil's, yeah. He's got a good sound. And now he's on but to the Father John Misty. You got the the Paper Kites, Fleet Foxes, Black Angels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Built to Spill was so <laughs> important to me. Mm. And, you know, I remember when Jim Roth got the got the call because built this bill is a three piece he got the call to be number four the guitar player that was going to play all the like bow, wow, 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 type of guitar parts yeah and so, I so, jim, so doug doug could shred yeah we we had a we shared a practice space uh jim roth and i so no jim was like in built to spill now and it was like you might as well be in fucking van halen you might as well be the other guitar oh, player 100 100 but but i still don't I, emotionally i don't know what what to do with it and it's because doug marsh has remained impenetrable to me i have not ever been able to sidle up next to him at a thing and charm him uh-huh. i have spoken Is to he him kind of introverted a- yes okay and if you walk up and are like hey man just i'm sorry don't want to interrupt i just want to say you know, i'm a big fan he just is sort of like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. thanks or whatever and you're like oh, See, that, 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 that's me and that's me and that uh, the guy from new pornographers oh uh yeah right i've tried Carl. to penetrate him well, he's shy too, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, but he's, you know, like I don't know. And the thing is, it's not like Doug Marsh doesn't know who I am. He right? should know who you are. You know, you got a lot but of connections. Just, but he just doesn't care. No. Or whatever. <laughs> he doesn't want to talk to me about it, or to me, or to me about him, or to me about anything. <laughs> and it's like, all right, well, I'll just give it another try sometime. Mm. Um. So I don't. So I still don't. Like, there's still you know, time. There's still time. Like Mark Arm and Steve Turner, like I would say, yeah, I would Mm -hmm. say that I'm like friendly with them both. Yeah. And that seemed like the least likely thing that would ever would have happened in 1991. I never think, oh, yeah, I'm going to see you're probably experiencing this a little bit with your kid where your kid has some friends that are three years older and some friends that are three years younger. And over time, those those three years mean less and less. And I think fame is the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I think you're right. Even but in Seattle, not, is it still like that in, in Seattle, case, John? Do you still feel like that's that's is it's it's it still the crucible of fame? Oh no, 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 no. Who knows what the kids are doing now? They're all making uh, bleep blop music on their bleep blops. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get behind the Supertramp thing. I think we can make it happen. <laughs> I'm into it. I'm into it.